Welcome back to Probably About Politics. This week, an episode of Summer School. We're back. School's in session. This is grade two. (laughs) This first episode of Summer School this summer will be on consensus government, which is a style of government unique to Canada's north Mm -hmm. and derived from uh, that region as well. Namely, today we'll be covering Nunavut and the Northwest Territories, which are two of the three territories in Canada's north. Mm-hmm. Um, consensus government, to note, is also practiced in some regions of Newfoundland and Labrador, which is a province on Canada's east coast, mm-hmm. um, but we'll mainly be covering uh, Nunavut and Northwest Territory style of consensus government. But for keen listeners, you can uh, look it up on your own time for a bit of homework and get back to us on how that style of consensus government might compare and contrast with those of the territories. And if, I don't know if you're a country running consensus government that we didn't pick up, you know, shout at us, we'll uh, take a look at your consensus government. Yeah, let us know. So to understand what consensus government is and what it is not, Mm -hmm. I think it's very important to understand what territories are and what they are not Mm -hmm. and what the Northwest Territories and none of it are and when they came to be uh, and how, and we're really going to be trying to dig into how these different localities are different Mm -hmm. from different places and what leads them to have these types of government and whether or not that type of government can be transplanted somewhere else or whether or not it can inform the ways in which we govern or the ways in which we decide to have people make laws. Mm -hmm. Northwest Territories and none of it both have populations below 50,000. They're extremely large in area. Yes. And at the federal level, both only are represented by one member of parliament in Ottawa out of 338 total. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so at a federal level, both territories have quite small representation, not proportionally, they don't have small representation, but on uh, on a total absolute scale, they have quite low levels of representation. And really quite... Um, even like even just with only one seat of representation, like there aren't roads connecting many of these territories to the to the south of the country. It's yeah, incredibly remote. A lot of places are fly in only. Like <laughs> so, the the connection is f- fairly different than say British Columbia to Ontario or uh, Nova Scotia to Ontario. But not to say that the communities that are there are not vibrant and integral to Canada. And I think what people are noticing now, at least going forward into the 21st century is at a federal level, we're hearing a lot more uh, Northern sovereignty Mm -hmm. and trying to get more access Mm -hmm. from the rest of Canada to the North and have more involvement at a national level, I think is what we're kind of moving towards. And it's, it is interesting though, in that, the just to kind of give a brief overview, the, the really the only difference between a province and a territory mm-hmm. in Canada is that the provinces um, are sovereign subnational units, mm-hmm. <laughs> which derive their legislative power from the constitution, yeah. rather than the territories which have their power to legislate given to them by the federal government, rather than being a separate entity entirely like a province yeah so like yeah the federal government essentially could have all the power and and yeah they get their the territories get their power from sort of a i think it's devolution of of responsibility from uh the uh 
Department of Indigenous and Northern Affairs in 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 the federal Canadian government, um, which has been sort of like a gradual process as they became territories over uh, you know for Nunavut since like 1999 and Northwest Territories since the 1970s. Like it it's been a gradual process, and and their relationship with the federal government has been changing dramatically. But all all three territories do have premiers. They have territorial governments. Mm-hmm. Um, they have commissioners. They have representation of the federal government in the territories, whereas the rest of the provinces would have a uh, viceroy of the monarchy. Yeah. <laughs> as opposed, instead of a federal representative in. Yeah. So in, yeah, to be explicit, like the commissioner is the in the in a territory is the equivalent of a lieutenant governor in yeah. the province. Yeah. So. These are the two places that we're going to be talking about consensus government in. And Kaylee, if you want to give us kind of a background of maybe where consensus government comes from briefly and kind of contrast basically the main features of it as opposed to the Westminster system, which Mm -hmm. the rest of uh, what we're going to be calling Southern Canada uh, follows for their uh, provincial governments and also our federal government. Yeah, so it's essentially it's a a nonpartisan democracy that's really it's very similar it's very similar in many ways just an adaptation of the Westminster system but it does I think um, in in reading both the Northwest Territories explanation of how consensus government works and none of its explanation it is meant for them to be an adaptation to create governance that better works with the historical practices of the um, Inuit communities that live there and and their style of of sort of governance and politicking, which would be more about consensus. Uh, um, Like, I think somebody said that, like, it's not really um, many, like, of the elements that sort of make the consensus government different than other in Nunavut, different than other Canadian provincial districts. Dis, uh, jurisdictions is like it's more about the manner of which you relate in politics than than any really super tangible difference but i mean we can we'll dig into the real there are tangible differences but it is mm-hmm. i think in a sense much more uh it's meant to relate to the historical and cultural uh preferred governance styles of uh of the re- of the region that Nunavut and northwest territories make up so very rooted in sort of indigenous governance styles. Um, I guess, yeah, so if you're talking about difference, it's just the biggest difference is there's no parties. Yeah, so there are no parties, which I think understanding that parties are not just groups of like-minded members of parliament mm-hmm. in the rest of uh, in the rest of Canada, they're they're more they're more official than that. They're more delineated from each other than that. So in a consensus government, just because two people have the same ideas and might vote in similar ways mm-hmm. and might know each other, that's different from two members of parliament who know each other and vote in similar ways and hold similar values mm-hmm. because in one, they are held strongly together mm-hmm. by an official registered party. Yeah. And that party has privileges over other parties say the party that how holds the most numbers of seats has Mm -hmm. privilege has privileges that other parties don't hold Mm -hmm. in a southern style of government or the westminster system whereas even if two people get along and have all the same ideas even as the premier Mm -hmm. um but once when they are elected they're 
they all have the same privileges as mm-hmm. each other. Yeah, I mean, the, you end up you can end up with more responsibilities. So you can, if you're the premier, or, well, more responsibilities might not be the word for it, but you can end up with a, an assigned department by being a cabinet member. Um, mm-hmm. But even regular MLAs are still members of committees that are making decisions actively. Um, there's no what I guess you end up having is no backbenchers. There's no people who are just voted in and essentially um, sort of uh, from a cynical view of the Westminster party system, like they're voted in and the back and they're backbenchers and they can be whipped to vote to support whatever the party needs them to support, regardless of, of their opinion. It's about the higher agenda of mm-hmm. the party. Um, whereas these individuals are all elected as independents and they're representing their individual communities um, that they've been elected for. Um, and no one can really make them vote under a certain issue uh, uh, a certain way. There's no whipping of the vote to follow fall in line. Right. And before the all the votes are actually cast, in, in a Westminster system, you'd know, okay, one of these three or four people are going to be the premier mm-hmm. yeah. of the province or the prime minister of the country. Yeah. But in a consensus system, anybody mm-hmm. can then become premier. And one, even once the premier is chosen, um, the premier doesn't then appoint all of the cabinet. All of the cabinet is also then chosen mm-hmm. completely by all of the other MLAs. So just because you're in the most popular party <laughs> and you're liked by the person who runs the party, mm-hmm. that doesn't then transfer over into a consensus system where even if your good friends <laughs> and agree with <laughs> yeah. one of the really popular guys um, who is then uh, premier. That doesn't mean that you also just get a cabinet position no. just because you know that person. Yeah, I think it is interesting. It, so basically everyone, so there are 19 members, I think, in, in uh, MLAs in the Northwest Territories, and every single one of them is elected as an independent. They all get in... Once they're all elected, they all vote uh, independently for who they would like to be the premier. And this, I think, really, yeah, this puts the idea of the position of the premier as being in the hands of the MLAs. It's not um, it's not preordained who will be the premier if they should get the most votes or anything like that. And then after that, the premier doesn't get to choose the caucus members, the, or the cabinet members, sorry. Um then the MLAs, again, in a secret ballot, get to vote for individually who they'd want to be cabinet members. And it, yeah, it, it, it puts um, the obligation not to the party. It puts your obligation to the other MLAs that are there, to everybody that has been democratically elected for you to serve your purpose and your, your job um, in the cabinet and as premier. Which means, in some ways, that the premier who is chosen then should generally have um more support Mm -hmm. from uh all members of parliament yeah than say a premier who is elected in a minority government who only might have the support of a third Mm -hmm. of of the legislative assembly yeah yeah in theory quite potentially quite diverse support, like support that doesn't necessarily always agree with their stances. So you might, in in our system, you might like the prime minister 75% of the time. So you're like, 
you might be willing to vote for them, but you're not in that party. So you can never agree with them because you're in a different party. Whereas in this case, it's like, well, this person will be good enough for and meets enough of my my needs for my communities uh, that regardless of our political differences, I can support them uh, to be premier. So requiring that, and we'll kind of, I want to talk about this in a little bit, but also would you say that a consensus government requiring that MLAs support at least the appointment of a premier kind of leads to a moderate, like a moderating force into the voices of those who then are able to become premier and also into all of those who are then elected into the cabinet as well. It's not, it can't really be somebody with an extreme position who wouldn't be able to get the support of at least a majority of those elected rather than maybe a very vocal um, plurality of the voting public. Yeah, I think so. And I think it also means that like you've gotten a stake in who this is. You got to say, mm-hmm. so you can't be as angry about every everything they do yeah. because you've in some way contributed to this decision, I guess. It's a... Yeah, you can't just sit there. And people do talk about that as not because there is no opposition party and you have chosen members of parliament. Mm-hmm. You don't just get to sit there and constantly critique what's going on in government mm-hmm. because <laughs> it's not just somebody else that voted them there. In theory, I mean, you could have voted for somebody else to be a cabinet member. It's not not everything, though it is consensus-based, not mm-hmm. everything requires a unanimous vote. Yeah, it's so simple. So you can, in some ways, if you're always in the minority of the voting <laughs> members, you can, you can get away with just constantly uh, nagging and complaining. Um, but because you have so much power to just do something about it mm-hmm. because everybody comes in on even on even footing that kind of falls back on yourself of okay well why didn't you yeah. <laughs> why weren't you able to just become premier then mm-hmm. since yeah you were one of the 19 or 20 elected yeah and then, yeah much more in the spirit of the whole you've been given an opportunity to have a say and so i think it would be quite against the spirit of the idea um and of the body that you're working in to constantly be the outsider who's mad about what's happening and especially when you're given so much opportunity to be part of what's happening i guess yeah so i think we have kind of an idea of the way that consensus governments are mm-hmm. formed more or less yeah um the mlas vote rather than the voting public voting mm-hmm. <laughs> and then get yeah, and then cabinet members being appointed but the cabinet members are then elected from mm-hmm. all of the mlas but how does that affect because the MLAs then appointed to cabinet may or may not agree mm-hmm. with the premier's point of view on something. Yeah. Though they probably somewhat will as the people who appointed the premier also then appoint cabinet members. But how does uh, having a consensus government, it would seem as though you should have um, people agreeing more and more kind of focus because everybody's agreeing or most people are agreeing most of the steps along the way. Mm-hmm. Um, but also without that kind of top-down guiding hand, mm-hmm. what happens to the stability of a consensus government compared to governments that we're more familiar with in the Westminster system? Yeah, so I think that the way that it's generally addressed is, so you will find the cabinet and the the premier, once they, they leave um, caucus and go out to present the government's plan, um, they they do have to be sort of unanimous. They all have to have, agree. 
And so, and I think that the way they sort of reach that is there's a lot of uh, private caucuses. Uh, the okay. Caucuses seem to be very, very important and often um, don't only include, there are ones that are only cabinet members and the premier, but often also include MLAs. Um, and these can be private discussions where they can negotiate and discuss what can get to the point of agreement. And then it goes And out. sometimes include only regular MLAs who are not yes, part of the yeah. cabinet and who are not the premier. Yeah. So they have lots of like, I think that that's the way of addressing that there are going to be differences. Like it's not everybody's, oh, we agree with each other. We agree with each other. Like they do go and have these discussions um, and then come and try and come out with a more united front or a, come out to a place where they can reach consensus once they are in the uh, legislative assembly. Um, to make decisions. So that's, that would be, I think, um, a big way of addressing what is in reality, like groups of people that may not agree on everything. Um, and, and they certainly don't. Um, but it, it creates uh, oppor- yeah opportunity to get the negotiating done and then come out and have a civil sort of discussion about whether or not you're going to pass the bill. It was interesting because I think they said something like their the speaker had ne- had only had to discipline somebody like once in in all of the history of of so so that once they do get out into the legislative assembly, it does seem that it is um, reasonably not cordial. That would probably be the wrong word, but there is a it's very different than the parliaments and legislative assemblies that we see in the provinces and federally. And so this, I think, brings an a kind of an interesting point of a consensus government while potentially being more transparent Mm -hmm. and you kind of see the machinations of what's going on and everybody's kind of responsible for everything that happens Mm -hmm. a lot it seems as though on the face of it that a lot more then happens behind closed doors to kind of maintain this kind of veneer of people getting along and things making sense um but in con, but really to compare it to a Westminster system, just as much really goes on <laughs> behind the scenes, and what actually happens during question period is not really when the debate happens. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it, it kind of seems like an unfair point to make. But is is that kind of a criticism of consensus government? Is that so much does happen behind closed doors? I I I think that. Yeah, I think you you're kind of you were definitely scratching on what the the reason why I think this is a reasonable thing to be true because they still ultimately do have and it, they can't pass anything in those caucuses same as uh, the Westminster system in in the rest of the provinces and, and federally, um, but in and and uh, and the parties in at the federal level at the provincial level have caucus meetings but they're exclusively with their party whereas in consensus governments it is with the whole cabinet sometimes it's with the whole cabinet and the mlas other mlas sometimes it's just mlas there's not um there's no private like party caucus where we like figure out what we're going to do in the best interest of our party there are some that's like figure out what we do the best interest of the government but i think that's reasonable to say that that's different uh um so I think that's kind of how I would look at it and say that, you know, it, the Westminster system is built for that to be happening. And then the consensus government built off the Westminster uh, system as a, an adaptation to it. 
um, is uh, is just doing the same thing, but in many ways, I think less. It's not as exclusive, and they still have to take it out to the. They still have to debate it publicly. Well, for one, because a caucus of only your party would just be you sitting alone in a room. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. But I think you talk about some interesting things, especially saying in the best interest of. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When you say it's not something's in the best interest of the government, and also. I've, I've read some debate about how members act in the best interest of the territory as a whole mm-hmm. and what that means when what you're being elected for is so locally driven because you're an independent MLA elected by just a, 20 MLAs in a, pro, or in a territory with a population of less than 50,000. Mm-hmm. This is a very small number of people that you're really... Um, beholden to mm-hmm. and so how does something like that impact trying to do things in the interest of the entire territory which is mm-hmm. such a huge area compared to just kind of looking out for yourself and your own locality yeah and i think so i think to a certain degree that's a fair criticism is that it is hard to unite for a greater vision but i think and i think in some ways that uh, for like a greater vision of the the territory um in some ways that's generally worked out i where we talked when we talked to mayor alti and yelena she talked about how local things are but i think that translates not e- from both like municipality of yellowknife to the province of the northwest ter- or to the territory sorry of the northwest territories um, that things are pretty local. Um, a lot of the issues that they're dealing with are, are viewed as both local and, and I think, um, and that has, that's in some ways rooted from their great distance from, uh, historical great dis- distance from federal supports and mm-hmm. the remoteness of their communities. So, um, sometimes it can be much easier and i think in in many situations necessary to focus on the local but as we were sort of discussing like a vision for the whole territory i think is increasingly coming up as something that needs to be accomplished with the consensus government style um and and that that has been a struggle um and that there there are greater picture needs um i don't think that parties are maybe i i mean i don't know but i would i would think that there must be a a way around parties to getting that greater vision um to achieve and i think that uh there are definitely ways of working around it but uh yeah like i i think that i noted to you a little earlier in our sort of discussion when we were going back and forth about this is like the northwest territories i think introduced the idea of creating a four-year mandate for the government and I think that sort of, and checking in on that four-year mandate about halfway through. And um, that could be maybe one of the solutions. It, it addresses, like, it creates, what do we want to accomplish over four years? What does what does the future look like? What, what are the bigger picture issues? Um, without having to uh, break up into parties and say, we as a group of as this party have this vision um, for the whole Um, because yeah, but it is harder if you're just one person coming from a locality, you have to get elected there. This kind of brings us to another question of how MLAs actually run for election Mm -hmm. without the support of a party providing funds and direction Mm -hmm. to what's going on. um, 
oftentimes when you're part of a political party, you can make kind of riskier choices because you then have the backing of that party Mm -hmm. uh, when you're then going to be running for election. And so that can kind of bring, take some of the pressure off because you can either say, oh, I had to make that hard choice because it's what the party wanted. Mm -hmm. And so it kind of takes the heat off you at a local level. Yeah. Or because you're with a party, you can say, hey, the party can say, hey, we already have the votes. Mm -hmm. And so you can vote the way that you need to, to satisfy Mm -hmm. um, your, your constituents. Um, So there's kind of some give and take there with parties of when they help you and when they can kind Mm -hmm. of hurt you. Um, But at the campaign level, how do, how do individuals kind of differentiate themselves without having kind of like a brand of like, Oh, this guy's a liberal and this girl's a conservative. And so I already know what they're all about before (laughs) I even have to vote. Um, What does that look like? Do you have any insight into actually how, how the campaigns are run? I, I, yeah. So I, uh, similarly to you, I don't, I haven't gotten a lot on, on that. It seems very much that you're running on the vote. You have to be pretty local running on the issues that are immediately happening in your community and how you're going to address them. I would be really interested because the other benefit of a party is that like you or I, um, if we were elected by a party, to run in a riding would then have the support of like the parties, both the party's platform, but also their ability, their tools for like developing policy positions and developing um, material and, and ideas. Um, so it would be kind of interesting to see how does, how do what this, I didn't see much on it and, and, and maybe that needs me to do more digging, but uh, how do you support uh, individual candidates to get the tools to, uh, make these proposals, um, or policy ideas, their vision for their community, for their pro- uh, their territory. And from a candidate point of view, I'd be interesting to see kind of the data on, it would seem as though because nobody has a party, mm-hmm. it's easier to then get involved yeah. because you're all on even playing field. Mm-hmm. But it is on the other hand, harder to get involved because if you join a political party and are then elected by that party to be the candidate for that riding, mm-hmm. you then, even if you are a new candidate, have this whole political machine mm-hmm. kind of ready to go for you to steer a little bit and also to have um, a whole group of experienced members and mm-hmm. staffers who can help you then run that campaign. Yeah. And so it kind of takes the pressure off young or inexperienced uh, candidates. Mm-hmm. And so... Again, it's kind of a helps and hurts type situation mm-hmm. where it requires more of individual candidates, but then because it requires more, it can kind of be a more one person show mm-hmm. where they can show up and get it done. Yeah. Um, and so, again, there's really interesting, cool things that can come out of it. Mm-hmm. But also, there are things that there are also drawbacks. Yeah. That are that also go along with it because. I think we're not trying to say that consensus government, we're not saying that consensus government will fit everywhere. No. Um, but we are saying that there are interesting things to learn from it and that it can work where it does work. Despite certain um, people who are in consensus government regions pushing for um, parties to be put in place mm-hmm. or for more party-like systems to come into place and 
kind of, I think parties to begin in what most people might imagine parties are is mm-hmm. just kind of informal alliances of people who get along. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it, uh, yeah, I think a lot of what, to me, the theme of what we're talking about is that it is a give and take. It's, it's a system that has been developed to meet the unique, um, the somewhat unique uh, territorial needs and, and needs of the people there. Um, and, 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 and their relationship with their government, but there are, it's not, it's not perfect. Uh, and there are drawbacks and pros and yeah, it's certainly, but I think it, it, it's interesting in, in the lessons that you can draw from it, that like there is sort of a default assumption that, that you need to join a party uh, um, and that parties are the key to getting anything done in uh, in a in government um, and are, are integral to the Westminster system. I mean, as you like the initially would parties initially started out as alliances of people who generally agreed and then developed much more into formal things. They haven't always been this. Um, inherent part of the Westminster system. It was really something that's, that developed. Um, so similarly, this development in in a consensus-style government is a reasonable um, development on the Westminster system to work um, in a place uh, that is more, in, uh, more organic, natural to uh, the population that they're, tra- they're governing and trying to serve uh, as best as possible. I think it is fitting that when... T- trying to understand what the consensus government is. Mm -hmm. It comes with giving and taking Mm -hmm. and finding (laughs) what is good and what is bad. Yes. Which I think is what consensus government tries to achieve Mm -hmm. in its legislative process Mm -hmm. is understanding what is good and what is bad and finding a middle ground, Mm -hmm. (laughs) finding the the best solution that's not necessarily the perfect solution. Mm -hmm. And it also teaches us, I think, interestingly and fittingly just listening to what other people have to say Mm -hmm. just seeing these other types of government forms can then just by understanding those things and actually seeing what they are and then inform ourselves to not necessarily do what other people do Mm -hmm. but be informed to say that not that our current system isn't necessarily the only system Mm -hmm. and can also be improved and that even though it's kind of a big and scary thing to change the way governments work yeah um it is done all the time Mm -hmm. and even so not necessarily by changing constitutions Mm -hmm. but by changing just the norms of the way that Mm -hmm. governments operate yeah and this kind of i think a topic of 2019 and 2018 and 2017 has been internationally norm breaking yeah and moving away from the way that things are done and people doing things in a different way being like i thought that was just not even allowed i thought there was a rule against that but apparently there wasn't and we all just decided to agree that this is the way that we do it and kind of consensus government is kind of taking norms just to another level Mm -hmm. yeah it's and it's yeah it's it's a real it's like an opening like this discussion is yeah, it's not to say that we should all immediately, as, as you said earlier, that we should all immediately uh, be advocating to adopt consensus government at the provincial and federal level here. I I don't know, maybe we should, maybe we shouldn't, but you look at your politics and you say, I don't like the way that everybody's yelling at each other, or I don't like the showboating, or 
Um, I don't like that my local representative can't vote however they want without being punished or these sorts of things. Like, I don't like them. But it's just, a, there's a tendency to believe that that's just part of the system. But no, it's not, it's not static. It doesn't have to be static. Um, and these things are, are, as you said, norms that developed. And norms can be broken. Norms can be broken for the betterment of things, not, not only to our uh, shock and horror uh, that somebody would do something so ridiculous um, or or terrible because there's no law. We just assumed it was human decency. We can also do break a norm in for human decency, I guess, to improve it, I suppose. And I think it's worth noting that the idea of doing an episode on consensus government came out of primarily our interview this last year with uh, Susan Holt, who was running for government in New Brunswick. Mm-hmm. And I think it's interesting that talking about consensus government came out of such a fractured <laughs> um, provincial uh, level of politics mm-hmm. where an in, basically an entire election was nearly thrown out mm-hmm. because of party politics and the way that parties operate. Mm-hmm. And because... There was no reason for coalitions to form because that wouldn't change anything. But if those, but if that entire group of same MLAs had been elected, Mm -hmm. it's hard to see how, if they had not been part of parties already, it's hard to see how such a situation would have emerged, Mm -hmm. just letting them choose who they thought best to probably be premier. Yeah. No, it definitely would have had to be a different situation. You couldn't just be the the sore thumb in this. You, you, you'd have to get in there. And if you didn't get in there, then it's, you know, you, you're, it's clear whose fault it is, I guess. Or it, it's, it's clear that you just, you didn't want to play. Mm-hmm. It kind of, it moves the default from a default of division and lines being drawn mm-hmm. around this is my party. Yeah. And this is literally called the opposition <laughs> yeah. and turns that into we are all just MLAs even if we have alliances between ourselves mm-hmm. and some of us are in cabinet those people are in cabinet because we chose them to be mm-hmm. and from the get-go we're all just independents and even if you know you and I are both MLAs and agree on a lot of stuff <laughs> that doesn't mean that we're necessarily going to vote together Mm -hmm. and that somebody who we don't agree with as much is kind of drawn with a different they wear a different colored shirt Mm -hmm. they (laughs) hang out at different conferences they talk to each other in different ways Mm -hmm. they have their own shadow everything (laughs) they're like completely separate we work at least with the same kind of set of information Mm -hmm. set of rules and information is something that we have not even talked about and how mla's in the in these two territories get information before the government yeah the quote-unquote government within the government decides things that other mlas are kind of taken uh blindsided by yeah and how the government is kind of the entire thing rather than now some mp in ottawa might be able to say well the government's decided this it's like hey, hey. you are the government yeah. man you, you knew about this <laughs> despite yeah. them kind of being they kind of other than separate them separate themselves because they're like hey i got no responsibility here mm-hmm this other this other person decided this mm-hmm. whereas in a consensus system it's not so easy yeah i mean there's a whole element of committees that we didn't even get to really dive into but i it is like it's just a 
yeah, it's another, it's all about making sure that there's, there's essentially no one who is, is just there and, and can't, can't do anything, you know, um, whether or not it's because they didn't run in the party that won or they're a backbencher, there's, that doesn't exist, which seems like just such a more efficient use of the people that you have elected to go, um, and, and serve in for you and your community. Um, it just seems like a more efficient use of their four years and a uh, more uh, efficient representation of, of your community. I think this is especially interesting for us because so much of what I think we advocate for mm-hmm. and talk about at least is proportional representation mm-hmm. where a lot of the time with proportional representation, you remove the individual to an even greater extent Mm -hmm. where you're voting for a party Mm -hmm. and you just go down a list of who that person then is elected. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of entrenching parties even deeper, but by doing so trying to achieve kind of the same result of a more granular level of voting where you can actually vote for who you want to vote for. Mm -hmm. But by making it all about individuals rather than all about parties, Mm -hmm. it's kind of a different way of solving a problem that we all agree Mm -hmm is a problem yeah and i i think like i think this is uh i used to sort of think that yeah maybe we're super pro proportional representation but maybe we're just super pro let's look at how things can be different how can we change and make these improvements and let's be open to new ideas um because the way we do things now are not the way we've always done things and they shouldn't be the way oh so they shouldn't necessarily be the way things we continue to do things i guess um, so this is, but I think this has been interesting for me in simply like expanding, like this idea that we should change things to be like, there are lots of ways we could change things. Um, let's talk about them and come to a consensus. Yeah. I think it was really interesting to kind of see that we're not necessarily trying only to find proportional representation, but that's really the only thing that's offered for us. Mm-hmm. But in seeing this, it kind of shows what we're taking uh, for granted Mm -hmm. we're saying okay political parties exist yeah (laughs) and that's what government is Mm -hmm. and we're kind of putting parties before even individuals in some cases Mm -hmm. and even what what a government is we we have these preconceived notions Mm -hmm. where when you see something like this and it's really not that radically different no it's It's what a lot of people think they're doing when they vote they're voting for a name on a piece of paper and they're saying like this is the person i want to represent me and i think it kind of it addresses a lot of issues that people have when they vote they're saying i want to be voting for my local mp mm-hmm. i don't want to be voting for stephen harper mm-hmm. or stefan dion mm-hmm. or paul martin like i'm not i don't agree with them but i agree with this other person at home yeah and I so it's funny that they're voting I, for like 10 years ago but yeah <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't want i don't want to say current names and yeah. influence people oh, yeah. to say always you, know, you don't have to be voting for elizabeth may <laughs> <laughs> but i think it is really interesting to look at other forms of government and this vote this form of government is not radically different than what we already do it mm-hmm. is almost identical yeah except for once you elect the person you're electing they're not backed by a political party and they choose the premier and the cabinet themselves mm-hmm. rather than the premier choosing the cabinet it's not that crazy no it's but very familiar. It has it does have huge implications mm-hmm. in so far even as we only just view the person we're talking to and arguing with mm-hmm. or agreeing with mm-hmm. as opposed to the color of their shirt. Yeah, and all or the that, convention yeah. they attend. 
everything that comes with that. It's, yeah, it's so, it's very heavy to be talking to somebody as the Liberal Party or as the Conservative Party or as the whatever party you can think of because there's a history there. There's everything that comes with that. In fairness, they could be the NDP, they could be... They the could Greens. be also the Green, the NDP, Let's make sure we just name all of the parties. Um. <laughs> <laughs> Not necessarily the block, depending on where you live. We don't have... Hey, we, do, we, have, some, we have some diehard Quebec listeners, actually. Yeah, look, I wouldn't want to uh, let them feel left out. And we don't want anybody to feel left out. And so that's why we're going to have more episodes about different things mm-hmm. coming for the rest of this summer. Yeah. It's not always going to be about consensus government, yeah. but this leads us to, we're bringing back summer school. This is episode one. Congratulations. You made it to the end. I hope you enjoyed the last 40 minutes. I'm pretty sure this is a doozy. Yeah. Uh, the rest of our um, summer school episodes will be um, kind of more about practical things. And last year was kind of broad overview of what is politics and what is voting and why do we do these mm-hmm. things this year is going to be kind of more applied mm-hmm. so you know probably about politics summer school 101 <laughs> foundations yeah <laughs> this is summer school 102 applications yes so Get your hands dirty we're excited about it this was a really great episode i think this was really eye-opening and going forward i think we're going to be trying to take some of the lessons that we've learned from this episode and apply them to other things and see what would happen if we thought about this where political parties didn't exist? Mm-hmm. Or what would happen if we thought about this in this other way? Mm-hmm. Yes. And so we hope you come along for the ride. We have other episodes. We're going to be covering three more elections, one per month for the rest of the summer. Double header. So <laughs> double headers every month. <laughs> so we should have episodes out every two weeks. And if you have an idea for something that you want to hear us talk about on summer school or an election to cover, please tweet at us at probpolitics on Twitter or send us an email at probablyaboutpolitics at gmail.com. But before you do those things, remember to like the podcast, comment on the podcast, rate the podcast, and send it to your friends. Yes, help everybody come to a consensus that they love the podcast. I haven't actually. The consensus is everybody loves it. I've never seen anybody dislike the podcast. Obviously. And if you made it this far, you definitely don't dislike the podcast either so thanks for listening to probably about politics see you in the next episode of summer school